Hello, I'm Katie Jarvis. Today's episode is sponsored by the University of Tennessee at Martin. UT Martin offers more than 100 academic areas of study within 18 undergraduate degree programs. Contact UT Martin today to find a program that's right for you. Hello, hello, hello. This is Scott Williams, the host of Real Foot Forward, where every single week we explore the people, the culture, and the history of our home right here in West Tennessee, just like we do every day here at our Museum and Heritage Park, Discovery Park of America. Our guest today, Lori Collins, started the nonprofit Redemption Road Rescue in 2009, and she rescues horses and other large animals in the region who are very much in need of her help. So tell me a little bit about where you came from, how you started life, how you grew up, and where. You want to hear the whole story the whole about st- how I started life we from want mom to and go, dad? And right, there's very some of beginning. that I don't know and don't want to know. Yeah, or, so, or don't want to share. So just <laughs> only the stuff that you want to share is what we want to hear about. Well, you know, I grew, I grew up with horses and loved them. And when I became a young adult, I decided I was going to get away from the farm life and move out west. And I moved out west and was never going to go back in 2000. Where, where out west? Colorado, Wyoming. Oh, I lived wow. in both those places nice. for several years. Yeah. That was home. And what did you do? I actually worked in a gold mine. That's out fascinating. There. Yeah, and you and you just went out there and looked for work, or did you know you wanted to go I, mine for gold? I had a friend gold? that had gone out there first and went out there, and she had worked at the gold mine, and I got a job there, and and worked my way on a on a Mustang ranch. We did some horse wrangling there. And it's funny you had decided you wanted to get away, and then you went there, and there there it was again. It, it's a little different being being out west on a ranch than being. In Kentucky on a farm as is it, a kid. What are the, what are yeah. the differences? Um, you know, it, small town. It was very small town mm-hmm. in Kentucky. Uh, the ranch was just just more fun. You know, I can't even. The it, mountains were all yeah. The mountains were beautiful. And, yeah. I didn't have anybody telling me what to do. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to go out and clean a barn. I chose to go out and clean a barn. Yeah. All those kind of fun things, and so that's kind of my history with horses. And so, um, did you have your own when you were out there, out west? I, I did. I actually ended up with a couple of the Mustangs and spent some time with them and broke them to ride. And everything I learned about a wild horse, I learned out there. Wow. What a great life out there. Now, it was something, beautiful. Something drew you back. It, it's something did draw me back. It called being a growing up and having children of my own. And my husband, who was originally from Colorado, he decided that he was going to travel so we traveled all over and we ended up back in this part of the country because my parents lived here they lived in kentucky and were you when you moved back here were you immediately starting to get involved with horses again absolutely not (laughs) um you know i went out and visited my parents and they had horses and my dad was one of those neighbors that was always helping other people and so he would you know when people would get in trouble my dad would take their horses and get them healthy and find them homes. He had a lot of land, fortunately, and was able to do that. And so he did that for years and years, and we would visit. We would feed the horses apples, and we would go home back to our city life. 
Right. And I too grew up around horses. And so I remember the moment when I was probably in about the second grade. It was freezing cold outside. It was probably six o'clock in the morning and I was having to uh, shuck the corn. <laughs> and I remember as a tiny kid looking out and thinking, if I ever get out of here, I am never coming back. <laughs> so I definitely understand what you're talking about. It's a lot of hard work um, yeah. and you've really got to love it. It, it is, and you know, and I've always loved them, but the, I never really loved the work that much that entailed as as a kid. My dad back in in two thousand and nine, he was he still had several horses, and he had gotten sick. And so when I went back to visit him, the he was in a hospital there, and and we went out to his farm and visited the horses, and the horses were in bad condition, and uh, my dad had been. Um, not been able to care for him, and there wasn't anybody else who was caring for him. There was a really bad ice storm that year, and so the horses were all at different degrees of starvation. Mm. And so, because it was my dad, you know, I went back to him and I said, Hey, let me take these horses back to Tennessee and let me get them healthy. And when they're healthy, I'll bring them back to you. And so, I brought all the horses back to Tennessee and had them here for. Probably about a week. Now, did you have space here? I, I did not. I lived in the city, and I put them in a boarding facility. There was probably 12 horses, and I, I put them in a boarding facility. You, how did you even, where did you find the trailers to transport them? We actually rented trailers. In the okay. area where he was at, we rented a trailer, and we made three trips and transported the horses to Tennessee. I mean, just loading horses is, is It was scary, you know, because that was something that I had never done. You know, I yeah. didn't load horses. I only scooped poop and yeah. watered and did that kind of stuff. So, you know, those were things that I was having to learn how to do. Yeah. And so you just jumped in, you rented these yeah. trailers, and you transported them. And then, I mean, that's also quite expensive to do. To do that's a, It's a heavy undertaking to do all that. It, it, it was definitely costly um, at the time. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes you just don't have an option. And I knew that that was something that would, uh, you know, help my dad, you know, in his healing process. Unfortunately, after I got the horses back here, settled them in, my dad died a week later. Oh, wow. And okay. so this is where Redemption Road Rescue started. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no clue that that's what was going to happen, but we consider those our first rescues. But we, it, people, it, the reason I say all the time is we're just as much about the people as we are the horses. Um, because it started about a person. The reason I ended up with those horses was because of somebody else who was a good man who got in a bad situation and needed help. And so that's that's where it all became. And I think I think Road. all of us all of us see these stories on TV and see that, you know, and you immediately feel anger towards the person who and you think, why would somebody let these horses get like that? And you don't put yourself in their shoes and understand you've been able to come at this with a different perspective than the majority of people would have. You know, I've learned in life that nothing is black and white. You know, there's always extenuating circumstances to most situations. And, you know, unless it, it is easy to be angry and when you see a starving horse, oh, if I had that horse, I would never let that happen. Well, you know, in his situation, it was out of his control. Mm -hmm. You know, and and so it, it's helped me to see things outside of my own little perfect world and know that people can get in those situations. Ninety percent of the time, the horses that we bring in really are just good people in bad situations. Now, there are those 10 percent who are not very nice people, mm -hmm. but it's still not our place to judge. Mm -hmm. Our our job is to 
bring the horses in, get them healthy, and find them new homes. I think probably, do, or, or let me ask you, you're the expert, do people miscalculate the investment that it takes to take care of a horse? I, I think that there's a lot of people that don't understand the cost involved, and it's not, it's just not just the financial investment, the physical investment in taking mm-hmm. care of horses. A lot of people get them, put them out in the field and, you know, think that they're going to be fine on some pretty green grass. And mm-hmm. it's not usually that way. Fast forward to today. Tell us a little bit about your your organization and, and what you've done and how many horses you've rescued. And um, You know, we, like I said, we've been doing this since 2009. I think we're probably close to 800 horses or something like that and then a large amount of other farm animals because we're one of the only large animal rescues in the area so we end up with cows and alpacas and buffalo and emus I mean we've ended up with all kinds of animals that needed help and we not only do we do the rescue end of it and bring the animals in and get them healthy we will help people who are in need. Our, our goal is not to take people's animals. Our goal is for the people to be able to care for their animals themselves. Mm. And so there's a lot of people who may lose a job um, or have a sickness in their family. Something goes on and they're unable to buy feed for their horses. So we will provide hay for a short time in order for them to get through these hard times and be able to take care of their horses. And we tell them just, you know, pay it forward for somebody else who needs something or pay it back to the hay bank. What are some of your uh, organization's biggest successes? Wow. Um, I think just being able to be in existence for 11 years and have volunteers for the long term that we have. We've got a lot of volunteers that have been with us for years and years and years. And I think as people knowing how to work together for a greater cause is huge. And so I actually consider that our biggest success is that this group of people that are working with us know how to work together for a greater cause. And, and where, I, I should have asked that earlier, where are you located? We we are based out of Jackson, Tennessee. Um, we take horses from all over Tennessee and some of the surrounding states when the need is there. But our, our main place is Jackson, Tennessee. And how many do you have at any, at any what's maximum capacity? Oh, uh, maximum capacity. You know, I would like to say our maximum capacity is 50. But I know that uh, we have had close to 100 horses in rescue at one time, only because we had had a large uh, seizure through a county that brought in almost 40 horses just for that one seizure. Wow. My dad tells me that, you know, horses kind of come and go out of fashion at times and that currently, you know, he sold some of his um, horses and some of the saddles and he says that the price he could get now is way lower than um, than what it would have been five or 10 years ago. I'm curious, does that impact, you know, your need to rescue more when horses can be sold for less or, or you know, do you see a popularity in horse? I, I do. You know, I think society is changing to a uh, society without farm animals. But I think that our Rescue hinges on the economy. When the economy is bad, we seem to have more horses in rescue. Um, now, the market is is not great for horses as far as, like your dad was saying, you know, it kind of comes and goes. And, you know, that does take a play into what comes into rescue. You know, there's there's a lot of backyard breeders out there. If you look on Craigslist or a lot of those places, people are giving horses away all day long because yeah. they can't afford them. Yeah. 
And so I know we here at Discovery Park have our very own person who volunteers for you um, in in many ways, and she she gives up every Monday. Um, she goes works with you. What what do volunteers do? Oh gosh, volunteers do all kinds of things, and she does work with us and drives an hour and a half every Monday to come and work for three or four hours scooping poop and feeding and watering and medicating and all of those things. And in addition to that, she does a lot of um, paperwork end of it, a lot of our our website, you know, she designed that for us. You know, so there's and lots of stuff. And it's incredible, by the way. Uh, I love it is, the, let's go ahead and amazing? say the URL. You can say the website. It is uh, redemptionroadrescue.com. And there's it's got lots of great content. It does. It, you know, there's a lot of information on there that tells about our beginning. It tells about what we do. Our volunteers can do any anything from being hands-on with the horses and feeding and caring for them to the administrative part of it and fundraising. As you know, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, so fundraising is a huge part of what we do. How many volunteers do you have? We probably have about 46 volunteers, and that's including the fundraising team and and barn volunteers. Well, I know I hear a lot of great reports from Carly. That's who it is. I didn't want to say her name until I got approval. So we can cut that out if she doesn't want her the name mentioned. The all-famous Carly. But yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I hear a lot, of great, uh, a lot of great stories from her about the work that's going on there. What would it be like if you guys weren't there? You know, I think there'd be a lot of suffering for the for the animals and for the people. You know, we have people who will come to us when they are at their end of life um, through sickness or age and ask for our help to place their animals. And, you know, so it gives them that peace to move on in life. So I think there'd just be a lot of suffering and a lot of animals that just, you know, didn't have a good ending. So, so somebody, you know, needs to give you their horse, you know, for one reason or another, you feed it, you help nurse it back to health. And then the goal, I'm assuming, is to either give it back to that person or to find another person who can take care of it. Is that? It, it is. We, we call it matchmaking. You know, we're excited. It's not about selling horses or anything like that. It's about matchmaking and finding the perfect home. And it's just as much for that person you know, to bring happiness into the people's life as it is to give the horse the happily ever after that it deserves. So we play matchmaker and, and make sure that it's going to be a good match. And do you have people who, you know, I mean, my daughter talked me into guinea pigs one time. And um, <laughs> shortly thereafter, I was wanting to find some place to give these guinea pigs back to. Do you often have people who call you back and say, hey, this is more than I bargained for? You know, we, we do. If, there's been a few few horses through the years that have come back to us for one reason or another. Um, we have an open door policy so that if this horse is not going to work out for them, they can always come back to us. Uh, we always get first right to refusal. We try to follow the lifetime of the horse and, and make sure that it ends up in a good spot and stays there. And I know that you um, have been given lots of awards and, and uh, accolades and applause, and it's uh, fantastic. Um, are there others, other organizations like yours, or are you sort of the leader in, in this aspect of animal rescue? There's a lot of amazing organizations that are doing animal rescue and horse rescue, and there's so many that I, I couldn't even give them names, you know, 
there's there's you don't have enough time for me to name the amazing people. Some are large organizations, some are small organizations. In West Tennessee, we're one of the the few horse rescues in West Tennessee. Um, but there's some great organizations that we work with all across the state of Tennessee, and they're all just you know doing their part. And I know that Priscilla Presley is a big um, animal horse horse rescue. Yeah, uh, she she does a lot of good stuff for horses. Yeah, so so when the police or the sheriffs or whatever when they find a, a problem, um, do they call you first? To how does what happens when someone you know stumbles when the police or the law enforcement stumbles upon a bad situation? What happens? You know that's a that's a good question. Um, the way the state of Tennessee runs is it's supposed to go through the state vet first. Um, it depends on which county it is. Some of the counties will call us directly and we'll come out. And and if we can do something as far as like give the people uh, feed and hay um, to help them get through the hard time, we will. If the people will be willing to surrender the horses, we'll take them. Um, you know, we, like I said, the largest percentage of the people that are out there whose horses are in bad shape are not necessarily bad people. Um, when it is a legal thing where it is the county is going to seize the animals we we fall under their direction completely Mm -hmm. Um, if the county says we're seizing these animals we'll take the animals we'll keep them for court cases and documentation and evidence and all of that Um, we always hate to see those kind of things come because we'd like to see it end without the legal end of it but then you show up with the trailers and and load them up You've learned how to do that now, obviously. <laughs> I've absolutely learned how to hold, load a horse that does not want to load. Yes. And, you know, let me put this out there, too. When the counties have us take horses, we still, 100% of the cost goes toward to our rescue. We pay for all of the care, all of the feed, all of the vetting, all of the transport. All of that comes out of our, our funding. And so you obviously require a lot of uh, volunteers, both in time and resources like our Carly, but also financial gifts, I know, are greatly appreciated. And that can all be uh, done on your website. Uh, do you have any kind of like fundraising dinner or anything? We do. Um, of course, the donations are amazing, but we do have some great fundraisers. And we've got one. Our, our main fundraiser is called the Make It Shake It Martini Party. And that happens about September, October every year. Um, this year, we have something really big for that. we hopefully going to have a, a big name star come in and, and perform for us there. And I can't can't give away the secret yet, um, but it's going to be so exciting when I get to. Well, I mean, you laid that out beautifully, I, and you, you <laughs> teased it perfectly. So if anybody wants to find out, they should go to your website and sign up for your e-newsletter or follow a- you on Facebook. Absolutely. Um, hopefully, we'll have that information out there after Sunday. Probably oh. it'd be a big part of that. See, there you go. And I, I want to tell everybody what this is, but it it's really... A, it's a pretty cool thing. Well, this so. episode will probably air after you've already announced it, so we'll put in the body of the description who the celebrity was who's going to be performing you yeah. know, at your big event. So Okay, awesome. And then the best way to find out more about you, I think, is to look at the videos that you have on your website. There's one I know just like... Uh, Discovery Park, we have one of those uh, 
what's that show called? That, uh, Tennessee Crossroads. Yes, yes. <laughs> we have our own episode. You yeah, have an episode. We do. We of do. Tennessee Crossroads that I thought was really good. And then, and then there's another video below it that Carly was saying, you know, don't watch this one. It'll make you cry. And then this morning I, I was watching it. And Did I you watch like, it? I, I watched it. And then when I started to feel like I might cry, I turned it off because I didn't want to go there at work. But um, I, um, it is amazing, the story. Do you want to just take a second it, and tell us the you, story? You know, and, that, that video kind of marks our 10th year anniversary. Come February, we'll be 11 years. Wow. Um, and that video marks our 10th year anniversary. And, and it talks about a horse that uh, – this horse kind of represents all of the horses that we've rescued through the years, but talks about a horse where I tried to rescue him um, a couple of years prior to that, and we were not able to get anything done. Um, the The legal systems come a long ways even in just a couple of years. And so it tells this horse's story. And, and really, if you had watched it till the end, it's a pretty happy ending. That horse has a great happily ever after, and he's healthy, and, you know, it's a really good thing. So. Yeah, I'm going to go back and watch but, it tonight yeah. when I'm at home. It, it, you, you know, know and, and it, it, shares, it shares that horse's story, and it shares our story as an organization. And it talks about our volunteers. You know, the volunteers are, are so crucial to this organization, and—, and I see that it's we're not just helping the horses, we're helping people. These volunteers come in here and, you know, they're either looking for a place to fit in, they're trying to fix something, find something. You know, there's there's something when you're volunteering for an organization that somewhere in your life you're looking for or you're trying to feel. And I feel like the the rescue does that and it's really awesome. That, oh, that absolutely. Here. I mean, if you live in this region and you have even a bit of passion about um, horses, I think, you know, you absolutely are running a great organization that everybody should find out ways to be involved in. Absolutely. I, th- I think everybody should find something to be involved in outside of their own lives, you know, whether it be Redemption Road Rescue or the Discovery Park, you know, because I know you guys are a nonprofit also. Are we not? are. We are. You and know, we so, love volunteers and we love donations. And, yeah, there you go. So that's, that's, what, that's us. That's, we that's love volunteers. Right. We love donations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of you who don't want to get any horse poop on your boots, you know, and you want to wear pretty shoes to work or to <laughs> volunteer, come out here and help Discovery Park. Yes, thank you so, so much. That's absolutely the truth. Well, thank you. This has been so much fun learning more about this. Um, I've always been curious where Carly was going on Monday, <laughs> so it's fun to get to actually talk to you in person. So thank you. And now Andrew Gibson is taking us behind the scenes at Discovery Park of America to see what we may be able to discover today. All right. Thank you, Scott. I am Andrew Gibson with the Education Department here at beautiful Discovery Park of America. And today I'm with Nathaniel Newland, a docent here, who will be sharing a story with us about uh, the 1800s and soap and a whole lot of other fun things. Uh, So we're all excited to hear about it. Uh, Nathaniel, thank you for coming on today. We're, We're excited to have you back. Good to see you, Andrew. Uh, Today, I'd like to talk about uh, the process of making lye soap, as it's been made for centuries before more modern production methods uh, came into play. The modern methods are really only a tiny bit more complicated, and we'll talk about that in a second. For centuries, it's been pretty much the same recipe. You need a fat, lye, and water, just three basic ingredients. You'd get your lye by burning wood, usually hardwood, so oak, maple, hickory, Pine is never a good wood for this, but um, so take hardwoods, burn them, get the ashes, uh, run water through the ashes to get your potassium hydroxide. And then you do that in an ash hopper, just like you'd see at the farmhouse out here at Discovery Park. Once you have the lye water drained out, you get it to a certain pH, which the old timers would actually do by balancing um, an egg in it. 
And once the egg floated at a certain depth, you knew that your lye was ready to mix with lard to make soap. So why an egg? Well, they didn't have pH monitors back in the 1870s, uh, and it was an easy, reliable way. The uh, lye is very basic, uh, has a very high pH, and the shell of an egg is made of calcium carbonate, so it's also basic. So it actually doesn't eat the shell of the egg, whereas it would actually like dissolve your skin or pretty much anything else. Of course, the lard would come from just being rendered from a hog. Uh, so normally they would make soap around the end of December, beginning of January, around hog killing time when that material was available. So you're, you're talking about rendering the lard and, and, and floating the egg, essentially. What happens after that? Do they, do they mix everything together? And then do they let it sit for a while? Do they, you know, what do they do? Yep, you just mix the lard and the lye water together at a certain uh, ratio and pour it into a mold and let it sit for about six weeks. And you have to flip it pretty much every single day. Don't try this at home without adult supervision. Yep, you just flip the soap every single day for about six weeks. When you're done, uh, just scratch all the stray ash off the top, soda ash, which they would have used to make laundry detergent. Round out the bars and you have lye soap. And you can see this done on Saturdays here at at Discovery Park of America in the settlement with Mr. Mike Ramsey, our historical interpreter. All right. Well, thank you, Nathaniel, for sharing that nugget of information with us. Uh, it was so fascinating to learn about how the pioneers used to make soap. Uh, like Nathaniel said, you can come out and see Mike Ramsey and uh, out in the settlement and doing these demonstrations and many more uh, different things. Uh, so we hope to see you here at Discovery Park of America real soon. Thank you for listening to Real Foot Forward. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may be listening. Plan your own adventure to see beyond at Discovery Park of America by visiting discoveryparkofamerica.com. Be sure to also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates.